This morning, we are closing out our series, Simply Jesus. So those of you who've been with us, we've been walking through the Gospel of Mark, and we've been in it for the long haul, like the long haul we've been going through the Gospel of Mark. Um, So some of you, I'm sure, are like pretty ready to be kind of moving on. We're building up momentum toward next week, which is Palm Sunday, and then Easter, which is basically the biggest deal that there ever was if you follow Jesus. so for, we've been following the story of Jesus. We've been talking about Jesus for a while. Um, but a few weeks ago, things got real when he poses this question to his closest friends. He says, who do you say that I am? And I mean, Jesus asks a lot of questions. He's really known for it. But this is like the most significant question that he's ever asked and that will be ever asked to these guys who call themselves Jesus's followers. And as we've been going through this series, we've seen the same is true for us. It's like the most significant question that will ever be asked. And so far we've talked a lot about Jesus, but at some point we each have to decide what do we do about Jesus? I mean, what do you do with Jesus, with this whole Jesus guy and this Jesus thing? Who do we say Jesus is? Some of you might be in the middle of having to wrestle with this for the first time. Like you're hearing about Jesus for the first time. You've never really explored it or heard anything about it. And um, you have to decide what are you going to do about it. But um, some of you might also remember like that significant moment for you when you first sort of started hearing about Jesus and had to decide what you were going to do about it. I have to confess, though, that I don't remember that. Uh, I, I just mean that that's not how my story goes. Um, I grew up in the church and grew up surrounded by Jesus and church people all the time. So for me, rather than um, a significant moment where I had to decide what to do about Jesus, it's been like a daily decision for me. that I've been surrounded by it my whole life, and I have to constantly ask, what am I going to do about this Jesus guy? What am I going to do with Jesus? And just because I've been asked this question my whole life doesn't mean I'm any better at answering it than anyone else. Um, maybe I've had more practice, but that, it, it, like it hasn't been easier for me. But the truth is, my honest confession is that Jesus is the most true and real and powerful and beautiful thing that's ever happened to me. So I like I have to follow him. I have to. That's there's like no other choice for me. And still, my honest confession is that I've been, um, I've been in places where I've been like hurt or disillusioned or angsty about the church. I've been angry with God about stuff that's happened. But still, I have to say that I believe that Jesus is the most true and real and beautiful and powerful thing that's ever happened to me. So I'm the girl who stayed. When I had friends who like walked away from the church because they were angry with God or angry at things that happened, I'm the one who stayed. And it's because I've been constantly forced to answer this question, what am I going to do about Jesus? So um, wherever you are, whether you're wrestling with Jesus for the first time or the millionth time being asked this question, who do you say I am? What are you going to do about Jesus? That's the same question for all of us. Um, And that's the question we'll highlight in our passage this morning. So again, we're closing up the book of Mark, and our series uh, is ending on this passage taken from Mark chapter 9. And there's a lot going on in this passage and around it, and in case you haven't been studying it for ages and ages like me, let me catch you up and fill you in on the deeds. 
um, Mark is a really fantastic storyteller. I'm a storyteller as well. I'm a writer and a reader. I appreciate stories, so I've been sort of keeping up with this. And I don't know if you've noticed, but Mark is really fantastic at it. He is like all excited and out of breath and full of details, like constantly, bam, 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 this happens. Um, I don't know if you have a friend who tells stories like this, but he's like, like full of stuff happening in the present tense. He sort of slips into this is happening right now and wants you to be like in watching it with him. Um, I like, I don't know, I hear stories, friends tell me, and then this happened and then suddenly we go here and then we do this and then you need to know all these details so you can know like why this is important. You're like, oh my gosh, I'm not following you at all. <laughs> you're like filling me in on so many things. But then you get to the end and you're like, oh, I get it. I see how it all like fits in and makes sense. So. I don't know if you have friends who tell stories like that. I mean, maybe I'm the person who tells stories like that. So if my talk sounds a little crazy to you this morning, I'm sorry in advance. But it's important for us to know that this is sort of what Mark is doing so that we can catch the sense of what's happening in our passage for this morning. It's in, one, it's in the middle of one of these kind of complicated, layered stories that Mark tells. Uh, the beginning of his train of thought starts in chapter eight. So that's like a chapter before this morning with the healing of a blind man. And uh, Mark tells the story of how Jesus heals this blind man in a really unique way. He heals him in two phases. First, he touches his eyes and says, do you see anything? And the man says, um, I kind of see people. They're like trees walking around. And so then Jesus touches his eyes again. And then the man can see everything in full and complete clarity. Um, the end of Mark's stream of thought of this sort of like big chunk of story that he's telling is in chapter 10, where the story comes full circle with the healing of another blind man. Healing of blind man, healing of blind man, right? Do you see how that sort of book ends? Our stuff is right in the middle. But um, with this second healing of a blind man, he calls out to Jesus, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus replies, your faith has healed you. Um, what he means there is that this man has cried out to Jesus, even though he cannot see, he can see who Jesus is in perfect clarity. In perfect clarity, he sees and understands who Jesus is. And that faith heals him. And then what's amazing to me is he doesn't just, he's not just healed, but the man sees and then he follows Jesus along the road along the way. This road and way that's quickly leading Jesus to the place where he's going to be captured by his enemies and killed in a brutal way. Um, but that's getting ahead of myself. That's for next week and the week after. We'll jump in there. Um, the point is this man knew exactly who Jesus was, saw him in perfect clarity as the king, the son of God, the only one who could do anything for him. And his response was not just to believe that Jesus was who he said he was and was going to do what he said he was going to do, but his response was to follow Jesus along the way. Um, so this whole big story that Mark's telling, blind man to blind man, um, kind of moves us. The point here, the focal point, is that we're in the middle of beginning to see Jesus in we're like beginning to see who he is, but not quite fully seeing yet. That's where we find ourselves. Beginning to see, but not quite fully seeing. Um, and so remember, um, it's right after the healing of this first blind man that Jesus asks the crucial question we've been talking about. Who do you say I am? And Peter says, you are the Christ. And then instantly, Jesus begins to show them exactly what that means. Jesus predicts his death. What? The man who claimed to be God said he must suffer and must die, but that he would come back from the dead? What? <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. 
And then Mark tells us that Jesus takes a few of them up a mountain and they have this like crazy mountaintop experience where they catch a glimpse of God's glory in Jesus. Like what, what is that about? Steve reminded us that this moment is meant to make Jesus' identity perfectly clear. This is like the moment, the crunch time, the, the focal point where Jesus' identity is revealed, that he is, um, that he's the son of God and that he is the, the revelation that God's promise is coming true. Um, but it's still crazy. <laughs> you should be asking, I mean, I'm asking and I know the story, like who even is this guy and what is going on right now? Um, Yeah, I mean, I know the story, and sometimes I can't even when it comes to passages like that. But the point is that Jesus is revealing who he says he is. He's revealing who he is, what he's about, and we still don't get it. Um, Even so, along the way, we're being invited to believe. Even though we can't see yet, we're still invited to believe that Jesus is who he says he is and will do what he says he will do. So as we approach this passage, um, my reading and understanding is shaped by what we've already been talking about, this question of what do we do about Jesus? What do we do with Jesus? Um, And to tell the truth, I've had a hard time with with this passage. There's a lot going on, and uh, even though I know the whole story, sometimes I can't even. It's Um, it's crazy. I've done a lot of reading and a lot of studying, a lot of praying, a lot of thinking, a lot of talking about it with people who I trust and who have also done that reading and thinking and praying and studying with me. Um, But to be honest, what moved me from seeing in part to seeing clearly wasn't the commentaries or Greek dictionaries or conversations or studies, but it was the songs from my most recent Spotify playlist. (laughs) (laughs) The Lord moves in mysterious ways, my friends, mysterious ways. Uh, Let me show you what I mean. Turn with me to Mark chapter 9. We're in verses 14 through 29, so we'll take it just a little bit at a time, and it should be in your notes or on the screen, but you can just listen. Verse 14, when they came to the other disciples, that's Jesus and uh, the couple of guys who were up on top of the mountain, they've come down the mountain. When they come to the other disciples who are waiting for them, they saw a large crowd around them and the teachers of the law arguing with them. As soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. Did you catch that? Overwhelmed with wonder. That's a title for something that I'm going to write someday, but I haven't figured out what, but I will. Overwhelmed with wonder, they ran to greet Jesus. Um, They're all standing around and arguing. The teachers of the law are arguing with the disciples about what they're doing or maybe about what they're not doing, as we'll see in a second. Um, But then they're all like, hey, look, it's Jesus. We don't want to fight no more. And in my head, it sounds like this. That's Don't Want to Fight by Alabama Shakes. Um, I hope you're catching the same sort of like intense excitement that the crowd is having here. Like, we are done with fighting. We don't want that anymore. We want Jesus and only Jesus. Um, so verse 16, they, they get there after running to meet Jesus. What are you arguing with them about? Jesus asked. And a man in the crowd answered, Teacher, I brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. 
This father brings his son to Jesus seeking healing for his son whose life is endangered constantly. I imagine this father's been constantly on the lookout for someone who might be able to help his son, to save him, to restore his life and health. The father is desperate to save his son and needs someone um, to help him. The one thing in the world that matters the most to him is suffering from this torment and this father feels helpless. There's nothing that he can do. So he needs someone desperately. To, to do something. He's been searching all the boy's life for anything that will make him better. Um, and in my head, this sounds like this. That's Use Somebody by Kings of Leon. You know that I could use somebody. Come as love under cover of the streets. You know that I could use somebody like you. Um, in my head, that's what I imagine the father feels like. Side note, I also imagine the disciples feel like this at this moment. They're in the middle of this angry, arguing crowd where they're supposed to be doing what Jesus has left them to do, what they've been charged to do, what they've been empowered to do, and they can't. They're trying and they're failing miserably and things are getting crazy they could really use somebody like Jesus at this point so obviously I think everyone welcomes Jesus with complete relief when he gets there but then Jesus says this to them and it catches me really off guard Uh, this is verse 19 you unbelieving generation Jesus replied how long shall I stay with you how long shall I put up with you bring the boy to me So I have to admit that at first, my response to this moment was, whoa, that seems really harsh. At first, this comment came off to me as frustrated and maybe even snarky. But then I was like, who do you think you are, more compassionate than Jesus? Girl, you better check yourself before you wreck yourself. That's how I talk to myself sometimes. No, if I hear this comment as frustrated or harsh or snarky, that's because I'm the one who would be frustrated or harsh or snarky, not Jesus. Um, So then if if that's true, like how do I push aside what I would do in the situation and what's really going on? What's Jesus really saying here? What's it really about? And I struggled with it. I'd like talked to a bunch of people. I read a lot of stuff. I like really thought and prayed about it. Like, God, what is going on here? Like, what is Jesus really saying? Um, And as I thought about it, I finally realized I knew what Jesus meant in this moment. And I think it sounds like this. That's Kansas City by the New Basement Tapes, fronted by the incomparable Marcus Mumford. Um, I love you, dear, but just how long can I keep singing the same old song? Jesus has been revealing who he is, extending an invitation to believe that he is who he says he is, that he's going to do what he says he's going to do. He's been doing it over and over and over. The story is at the very end of Jesus's ministry. They've had three years with Jesus, like, like, and they're not getting it. They're completely missing it. God had come to them as one of them out of love, full of grace and truth, but they haven't recognized him. Um, John puts it this way in his gospel. He came to his own, but his own did not receive him. And in the face of all of that rejection, all of that unbelief, as I think about that and I listen to this reply from Jesus again and more carefully without my own kind of responses mixed in there, I hear grief, not frustration. Um, But even in the face of their unbelief, Jesus asks to see the boy. Remember, the one who is helpless, the one who is in need, always has Jesus' full attention and compassion, always. 
This brings us to verse 20. So they brought him, the boy, and when the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. It has often thrown him into a fire or water to kill him, but if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. Whatever is happening to this boy, he's stuck in an oppressive darkness that's threatening to destroy him. Um, It says uh, the spirit often threw him into the fire water to kill him. The father has gone seeking help, but in contrast to some of the other people we've seen who have approached Jesus, um, this father seems to treat Jesus as just one of many options. Like, hey, we've gone to see a lot of people. We've approached lots of people for help. If you can do anything for us, let us know. If you can do anything for us, let's see what you can do. Um, He says, if you can, uh, rather than approaching Jesus as the only one who can actually do anything. um, This, if you can, is the cynic's go-to, the pessimist's protection. Like, if you can, sure. If you can't, whatever. No big deal. And I know this all too well, all too well, friends. It's me saying, Okay, Steve Fisher, Coach Stevie, if you can get San Diego State to the national championship of the basketball tournament, that would be awesome, if you can. I mean, I don't even have San Diego going to the Sweet 16, but if you can get us to the championship, then um, I'll never be more happy to have been proven wrong, if you can. That would be cool. And I mean, nobody cared before we were like any good at all, so whatever, but if you can, it would be super cool to have a winning team for the first time in forever. And none of you know what March Madness is, none of you are following it, so I should just stop talking about it. <laughs> um, it's the like, if you can, it would be cool, but I won't get my hopes up, so whatever, no big deal. Um, <laughs> okay, let me get more real, more serious. Um, all joking and March Madness aside. Um, how often have I approached Jesus with this, the if you can? Um, cool, if you can't, no big deal, I'm not getting my hopes up. Um, honestly, all the time all the time, guys. Yeah, yeah, so let me be real honest for a second. Immediately, I think about my sister, who I pray for all the time. She doesn't know Jesus, um, and she's experienced this deep kind of oppressive darkness that threatens to destroy her. Um, In her barely 20 years of life, she's experienced more pain than anyone should experience in a lifetime, and she's my kid's sister. She means the world to me, and I want desperately to make everything okay but I can't. I, I can't. Um, the only hope that she has is the hope that Jesus offers for peace and rest and rescue and light and new life, but I can't, I can't bring that to her. I, I can't force her to come and follow Jesus, um, and so I pray for her all the time. I, I pray, um, and my prayers often sound like, God, if you can reach her, if you can speak to her, if you can rescue her, if you can show her the light, if you can help her, then do it, then do something if you can. Um, and my prayers are full of ifs because I'm often full of doubt. I keep thinking, she's been through so much darkness. How could she possibly believe that God is good, that God cares for her, that God wants to rescue her? Like, how could she believe that? And then, then that, like, that's back on me. How, like, how can I believe that? Um, 
so my prayer is often, if you can, if you can reach her. Um, because when I pray for her, I don't even know if I really believe it's possible either. I desperately want to, but the darkness seems so great that I'm like, if you can, God, if you can break that, um, then do something. Take pity on us and do something. Um, but after that, if you can, Jesus comes back with these words, verse 23. If you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for one who believes. Immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe, help me overcome my unbelief. So Jesus calls him out. He says, there are no ifs here. It's not if you can. There are no ifs. Um, Everything is possible for one who believes. And he gets this immediate, honest, gut-wrenching confession from the father. Um, Fine, okay, whatever you say, I believe. Whatever, I believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. The Greek here could be understood in a few possible ways from... I want to believe, help me to believe, to I have believed and I'm on the verge of unbelieving, keep me from falling, um, help my unbelief. I, yeah, I've been through this whole spectrum. This spectrum is the story of my life. They're like, I want to believe, help me believe. I have believed, I'm on the verge of unbelieving, help me. Um, and as I find my story in the story of this man who's come to Jesus in this honest confession, it sounds to me like this. That's uh, Believe by Mumford and Sons. Basically, I just hear the word of the Lord from Marcus Mumford. That's only half kidding, maybe. (laughs) Um, I don't even know if I believe, if I want to believe, if I can believe anything you're trying to say to me. But then the key here is the request for help, an honest confession and a request. Help my unbelief. Open up my eyes. Tell me I'm alive. Um, There's the thing that changes everything. The question, ask, help my unbelief, tell me I'm alive, reach out. Out of a desperate longing, the father exclaims, and this in Greek uh, connotes shouting or yelling something at the top of your voice. It's like from your gut, like, Um, I don't even know if I believe it at all. The father makes this desperate cry. I don't know if I believe it at all, but I'm all in, and I bet my life, like, like whatever, whatever it takes, I bet my life and my son's life. And to me, it sounds like this. Just a shout, like, like I don't know if I believe it all, but I'm all in. Um, I'm all in. That's Bet My Life by Imagine Dragons. Uh, Jesus hears this man's honest confession and then turns to the boy. Uh, this is verse 25. When Jesus saw that a crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the impure spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said, I command you come out of him and never enter him again. The spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently, and came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him to his feet, and he stood up. It's only after the father's confession of belief that the boy is healed. He's there vulnerable and open before Jesus and he experiences the healing touch of God, taken by the hand and raised from oppressive darkness to stand in light and freedom. When we can respond with vulnerable belief, even an honest but stuttering confession full of mixed feelings, we can find ourselves healed by the very touch of God. taken by the hand, raised from the oppressive forces of darkness to stand in light and in freedom. Our eyes are opened and we're made alive, made possible by the very act of our honest and stuttering confession full of mixed feelings. Um, We find it in this messy and crazy process of I believe but help my unbelief, of confessing our belief and asking God to help our unbelief. 
I've talked a lot about music this morning, and um, I've shared a bunch of the songs that have been stuck in my head for a few weeks, um, and that have helped me move from kind of seeing to really seeing, I think, what's, what's happening here, and this tension of I believe but help my unbelief. I think music has this power to allow for a space of honest confession, um, to take us to that place where we can respond with vulnerable belief, even an honest but stuttering confession full of mixed feelings, so that we can find ourselves healed by the very touch of God, brought from those oppressive forces of darkness to stand in light and in freedom. One of my most recent favorite TED Talks, do any of you listen to TED Talks? One of my most recent favorites is um, given by Megan Washington, a popular singer-songwriter from Australia. In the talk, she shares about the way she found her honest and authentic voice through singing. Um, she's a, she has a speech impediment, so she speaks with a stutter. And in the talk, she shares about the way singing is used in speech therapy. Um, and she did a lot of speech therapy, so she did a lot of singing, which explains like how she's trained as a musician and how she's written lots of songs. Um, so in speech therapy, she was coached to use a technique called smooth speech, where you join all your words together in a really fluid kind of sing-song way, um, almost like singing, so you can kind of get through the words. It's a technique to get over a stutter. So she explains that she uses this technique, this persona, in public when she has to give interviews, especially on the radio where like economy of airtime is really important, or where she um, needs, to, needs people to understand what she's saying and not be distracted by the way that she's saying it. Um, but she confesses that as an artist whose life and work is based on authenticity and honesty and pureness of expression, she says that this smooth speech kind of technique feels fake, like it's cheating. Um, but when she really sings, really sings the stuff that she's written, she's able to say exactly what she wants and exactly the way she wants to be exactly who she is and to make that completely honest confession. Um, I, because she, she explains that for some miraculous reason, it's impossible to stutter when you sing. It's just impossible. Um, so she's able to be exactly who she is and to say exactly what she wants. Um, for her, singing allows for that completely honest confession. And I think music has this power to bring us to that place of honest confession. I was thinking about this a little bit more when I was listening to an interview with a writer and blogger who I follow online. Her name is Esme Wang, and in 2013, she was suffering from schizoaffective disorder. Basically, in the midst of her psychosis, she had delusions, which she defines as, uh, she defines a delusion as a deeply held false belief that can't be proven false to the people who have them. Um, in any way. So she suffered from what's called Cotard's delusion. It's a specific kind of medical uh, delusion where she believed she was dead and that everyone around her wasn't real. Um, I'd like to play a, a clip, um, a minute to listen to her story about the moment she realized what was really true and the psychosis just like went away. So let's listen to her story for a second. There's something so compelling to me about the way her belief in reality was restored by a song, even like a silly song that she made up about believing in her dog. Um, I think it speaks to the power of music to remind us of and to call us into truth, to give us a chance to make an honest confession, even when we might be unaware of the belief that's growing in us. It happens when we're not noticing. Um, there's certain things I think that we can only... Um, 
understand or see or receive by stepping into them. And I think belief is one of those, uh, that we step into this tension of, I believe, help my unbelief. And it's like in that tension, in that messy process, when we confess our belief and then ask God to help our unbelief, that belief dawns on us unaware. Um, I think music provides us one of the ways that we get there. In a moment, we're gonna sing together an ancient confession called the doxology. Um, I'm gonna invite the band to come back up, so we're ready to do that in a second. It's an honest confession of belief and a declaration of praise. That's what the doxology is. Uh, It's like the ancient creeds or the confessions of belief of the church. Although it's short and the word seems simple, it's full of weighty confessions of belief. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise God all creatures here below. Praise God above ye heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. There are a lot of songs we sing and things we say we believe, and I have to confess that sometimes it's hard to mean them all, all the time. It's just hard. But friends, that's why we sing and say them together as a community. Together, we can carry the weight of these confessions. When my unbelief momentarily overcomes me, the person next to me carries the melody for both of us while I dig deep and ask God to help me overcome my unbelief. And when the person next to me falls silent, I dig deep, I pray for them as they dig deep, and I momentarily carry the melody for both of us. We're in it together. We say this together. We make these statements with all the belief we have and all the honest conviction we can muster, knowing that we carry the weight together. We're not in it alone. Um, Knowing that our belief is growing in us, even though we might be unaware of it. So no matter where you are on the spectrum of belief this morning, I want to believe, help my unbelief. I have believed. I'm on the verge of unbelieving. Wherever you are, I invite you to Sing this song, sing the doxology and the songs that follow with all the conviction that you have. Dig deep, honestly confess your belief. Whatever your stuttering confession of belief is, honestly confess, ask God to help your unbelief. And remember, it's impossible to stutter when you sing. You might even find to your surprise that you really do believe that it's a softly revealed truth that happened when you were unaware. That's my prayer for us all this morning.